Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. You know, the punchline turns everything round, and you suddenly see a different way of seeing things, which is the source of humor. Mm -hmm. You think of the jack-in-the-box, who every time you put him down, bounces back the right way up. Well, put it reverently, the supreme act of the jack-in-the-box is the resurrection. Mm. Dead, 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 buried, buried, buried. And suddenly, he springs to life again. The Lord's dynamic subversion of sin and death and the powers of darkness. And there's a real link between comedy and apologetics Mm. and the subversion that the Lord is doing to evil in the world. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we're on season five, Apologetics. We're doing Christian Persuasion. And we have Dr. Oz Guinness on today to help us with this conversation. He, his recent book, Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion, is our main resource today. What kind of prepped us for this, this conversation? And I'm sure we're going to touch on that book for uh, the conversation. And and we want to make sure you guys in the audience know that you can get this book. So go to our show notes, go to the IVP press link in our show notes and get this book for yourself. It's very helpful. And then speaking of show notes, you can, there's some other links and helpful resources. So you can hit that link to find the closest reformed or confessional churches near your area. So the most important thing is that you can find a church to call home. So please click that link find the closest reformed or confessional churches near you. You can also find out ways to communicate with, with us, myself, Nick, or Peter, uh, any content with our show, questions, comments, anything like that. Our email is guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube. So Twitter and Instagram, same handle at guiltgracepod. And then for YouTube, 
pretty simple. You just type in the name of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude Podcast, and hit subscribe. You can keep up to date with our content. Uh, we have two main episodes per week, book club and our doctrinal seasonal episodes. We post those videos automatically on YouTube, so to keep up to date. So this interview, if you're in your car listening on your headphones, also know you can go on YouTube and see this conversation for yourself as well. So also some other brief information. We are uh, growing as a podcast, so we need more help with filling up bandwidth and, and all that good stuff that any growing podcast would ever need. So we want to thank you that uh, financially support us. We call them bridge builders, and um, we have some publishers that you'll and other uh, organizations, you'll hear words from our sponsors about halfway through this episode, but you heard me mention Lagos Bible Software. They're our main sponsor. But you, as an individual, can be a bridge builder as well. So you just hit that Patreon link, and you can find a couple different ways of giving to us. So we greatly appreciate that, and thank you. And if you're not able to give to us, that's totally okay. We want to make sure this is free for the world so everyone can listen to this. And so we will jump into this episode on Christian persuasion on this series, on our seasonal series on apologetics, I'll let Peter further introduce Oz Guinness. Yeah, we have Oz is the uh, author or editor of more than 35 books, including this one, amongst many others. He's also the founder of the Trinity Forum, prominent social critic and a frequent speaker who has addressed audiences worldwide. Hopefully that was a short enough bio, but thank you, Oz, for coming on our show to talk about your book and I'm sure many other things as well. Thanks so much, Peter. What a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Before we start, I caught this little note in your book too. Um, you are related to that that Guinness family of, of famous of famous beer makers. Is, is this is this true? No, it's true. Yes, I'm descended from the youngest son, and Arthur Guinness, the original brew, was a fine old Christian, and uh, my part of the family has kept the faith ever since. Huh, there you go. Cool. So when you're drinking your Guinness beers, you can think about this uh, This episode, or you can think about um, Oz as well. Um, so as we start this, before we kind of get into the meat of this, for those who don't know you, for those who know your background a little bit, maybe tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and what you've done, and maybe what you're doing now. Oh my goodness, all right. Um, <laughs> I was born in China during huh. World War II, and my first 10 years were overshadowed by war, famine, revolution, death, all around me. And I had the dubious privilege of two years under the Chinese revolution mm -hmm. and Mao Zedong's reign of terror. So that was my first 10 years. And then I was educated <laughs> in England. Uh -huh. I eventually went to London University and later to Oxford University. Worked for the BBC for a while, was profoundly shaped by uh, being with Francis Schaeffer and the mm -hmm. Libri community. Mm -hmm. And since 1984, I've lived in Washington and done various things in the secular world. I was at the Brookings Institution mm -hmm. and also in the Christian world, founding, as you said, things like the Trinity Forum. So I'm basically just a writer. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's great. You've written this amongst, like we said, many many other works and i think more so lately and i think there's been other stuff dust of death being one of your first one as well um so we'll, we'll talk more about this one this book particularly full's talk but more generally about kind of christian persuasion as well um, but this book particularly and kind of this this episode 
Uh, we're talking about apologetics, but this is this book is not really a manual of apologetics, like you talk about an in introduction, more a manifesto for recovering the art of Christian persuasion. So to kind of keep our definitions strong, so people know what we're talking about, what what is Christian persuasion? Well, it's persuasion, particularly to people who are not open. In other words, if you think of the bulk of Christian communication evangelism, for example, it starts with the important point, the gospel is good news. Mm -hmm. But of course, the gospel's good news to people in a bad situation. And a lot of people don't feel they're in a bad situation. And so we've got to be able to talk not just to the open and the interested and the very needy, in other words, mm -hmm. people who are very, very open, but to people who are not open, not interested, not needy. And that mm -hmm. requires and assumes persuasion. And I think, you know, the word apologetics in many circles is either confusing because of its association with apologies, mm -hmm. or it's a sort of technical term which people don't understand. And I think persuasion, how you make sense of what we believe to people who are not immediately interested is a very important part of where we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's, and that we'll, we'll kind of dig into this a little bit further as well. Uh, and you, you interact, I think more so than almost any of it. And again, it's not an apologetics book, but uh, more than other apologetic books with the, the, the classical Western tradition uh, and in many other books too. And then though most people we interact with, they haven't read these books themselves, probably um, some may, some may have not, but they're, they're affected by these, they're shaped by these, their mindset is shaped by these, kind of the modern mindset is shaped by these to a degree we may not be aware of, and especially in this modern age. So how, how have you interacted with this and helped us understand this mindset um, in a context of, of persuasion and knowing their mindset and how we, how we introduce the gospel in this as well? Well, I came to faith as a kind of two-year intellectual debate in my own mind. I was reading atheists like Nietzsche, mm -hmm. Jean-Paul Sartre, and my own hero as a teenager, Albert Camus. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, people like Blaise Pascal, G.K. Chester, and C.S. Lewis. So I came to faith with that sort of a debate, convinced the Christian faith was true. And then as a student in the 1960s, everything was challenged. Mm -hmm. You had to think back to square one. You couldn't just believe. And so I had to plunge into, it was the decade of drug, sex, rock and roll, and mm -hmm. all that, had to plunge into all that was going on. And then when I came to Christ, I realized you've got to engage with the major thinkers of today mm -hmm. and the past, the people who've shaped our thinking. So I've always done that as a matter of course. Gotcha. Yeah. And so it's, I think, I think it helps people too. This is not part of one of the questions that we sent over, but it, it helps those two. Like how, how would you kind of beyond this book, kind of, kind of looking at the foundationals, how, how would you either counsel or recommend it? Like, should people be reading some of these works to, to engage with them? Or is it like, can we kind of stay away from these things? Like how, how should we engage with some of these works ourselves? No, we, we should certainly engage. In other words, don't just read a Christian critique. Mm -hmm. read the real person, whether it's Nietzsche, who is maybe the greatest of all the atheists, or someone today like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, whoever it is, we've got to read them for ourselves and really come to grips with their ideas. Yeah, yeah. So we can better engage with them versus 
kind of a secondary critique. We're, we haven't really read them for ourselves, reading somebody else's reading of them, which could be maybe biased in some way. But we're not, we haven't actually engaged with their work ourselves. We can't engage with it all that well. That's helpful. Yeah, to know where they're coming from is how we could, helps us out a ton. So um, yeah, you, you set out in specifically, you know, this book, Fool's Talk, uh, you set out per persuasion methods that are structurally ground, or scripturally grounded and found in ancient and modern rhetoric. Some, some examples would be turning the tables and triggering the signals. Those are gr two great chapters. I really enjoyed those. Uh, what are some of these rhetorical te techniques and what, um, what makes these such powerful communicative tools for, ex for exposing our belief systems or uh, how are they inconsistent with uh, philosophical structures? Now, there's a danger when you talk about rhetorical tools mm -hmm. as if we're just using the best of the past today mm -hmm. for the gospel. No, no. We've got to look at the theological basis of this. Mm -hmm. So when people deny the Lord and refuse to follow him, they're abandoning the truth. You can see it today in an extreme thing like, say, transhumanism and transgenderism and the madness and perversity and confusion and lostness that it creates. In other words, when people abandon God's truth, what they're leaving is reality. Mm -hmm. And the further they go from it, the worse the situation becomes. So one of the simplest biblical methods, you can see even the notion of judgment in scripture, God's judgment is not always zapping people. Mm -hmm. They've done wrong. He zaps them as a kind of heavenly cruise mission, cruise missile. No, judgment often is leaving people to the settled consequences of their choices. So they make a decision, and they reap the harvest. Mm -hmm. And you can see that then becomes a method you can use. So take a simple example from the scripture: mm -hmm. Elijah and Mount Carmel. So he's one prophet the lords against 850 false prophets and the whole of the royal family and the establishment. And of course, as we know, the people, ordinary people, are sitting on the fence. They want to see the outcome before yep. they vote either way. But what does Elijah say? He doesn't say, come back to God, like a lot of preachers might today, come back to God or America, Israel will fall apart. No, he says, if Baal is God, follow Baal. Mm -hmm. Now, that's incredibly daring. He can <laughs> yeah. say that because he knows Baal is not God. Mm -hmm. And the further they go out to try and prove that Baal is God when he isn't, they'll hit their heads against the wall. And of course, that's what happens. And you can see that's the sort of logic of apologetics. Francis Schaeffer used to say, push people to the logic of their presuppositions, mm -hmm. what they believe. C.S. Lewis used to say, think things out to the very English way of putting it, the absolute ruddy end. <laughs> mm -hmm. In other words, it's not their immediate beliefs that are wrong, but the consequences for them down the line. And that's what I call turning the tables. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe to dig into that a little bit further too, for our listeners. Um, and because you talk about in the book, those who are very consistent in their beliefs and it has this logical end, but those who are not consistent in their beliefs. And so they don't kind of take this lot. How, how would you maybe help us understand like what, what that relationship looks like and how we 
for lack of a better word, help them get to the logical end of their belief system, whatever it may be? Well, of course, with all relationships following Jesus, we have to start with love. Mm -hmm. I was loving, truly loving the person. And when it comes to apologetics, that means listening. In other words, we want to listen to what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. What's the treasure of their heart? The deepest thing that animates them, as Jesus says. Now, to listen and love like that, we've got to ask questions. Tell me more about yourself and so on. And what you're after is that treasure of the heart. What makes them tick? Now, when you hear and discover that, then you've got to get them aware of what they believe. And then the questioning comes, pushing them out to see what it means to be true to those beliefs, which is disastrous. Hmm. Now, that may take very rare times, five minutes. Mm -hmm. It might take five years or 50 years. But we've got to love people and hang in with them and do that until they're open. Because the good news is good news to people are open, interested, and needy, as I said. Yeah. Yeah, and then the title of this episode is Christian Persuasion. And some people see the title of, of our episode, and it's even in the subtitle of your book, and they might think, uh, you know, just let the spirit do its work, just evangelize, you know, and so but in the book, you do you discuss the difference and even some how they're related between apologetics and evangelism. I think that's so important for people to understand because you do defining terms and understanding the categories of what apologetics is, even in the difference of the definition of evangelism. And so how do the, how are these two distinguished and, and yet, uh, yet both persuasive endeavors? Well, put very simply, evangelism is the sharing of the good news. That's literally, of course, the definition of the meaning evangel, good news, and so on. So that's evangelism. But that assumes, as I said, people interested, open, and needy. Apologetics, put simply, is pre-evangelism. In other words, to be used when people are not open, not interested, and not needy. People for whom the good news is not yet good news. So we've got to raise the questions, push them to see the problems of where they are, so that at a certain point, they become open, interested, and needy. And then the gospel is good news. So we often, not with everyone, but we have to find out. And that's one of the first questions I always have, talking to people, loving them, listening, asking questions. And my first question is, are they open or are they closed? Mm-hmm. And increasingly in today's world, you think of the rise of the religious nuns and so on. More and more people, particularly in the intellectual circles of America, are simply not open, not interested, not needy. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're disdainful and skeptical. As they see it, the Enlightenment has wiped out the credibility of the Christian faith. Yeah. So there are a lot of people for whom we need apologetics, pre-evangelism, the breaking up of the ground, as it were, so that the good news of the gospel can be sown as seeds in ground. Hey, all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. 
Then read it on the free Logos Bible Study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guiltgrace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. Have you been thinking about going to seminary for a while and wondered, what would a day in the life of a seminarian look like? Westminster Seminary California is hosting their spring seminary for a day on Friday, March 17th, 2023. This is an all-day, community-wide event designed to give you a taste of seminary life, the rigor of Westminster academics, the friendships outside the classroom, living together in the Westminster Village, eating with faculty and staff, and more. Westminster has a special treat for those who attend. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, Vice Chairman of Ligonier Ministries and Chancellor's Professor of Systematic Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary, will be delivering his Robert G. Dendolk Lectures of Preaching at Chapel. You're not going to want to miss this. At Westminster, we think that an in-person visit is the best way to experience our community, classes, and campus. So to that end, they're offering a $400 travel grant to prospective students to help ease the burden of their travel expenses to visit sunny San Diego. Sign up today to attend Westminster Seminary California's Spring Seminary for a Day on Friday, March 17th, 2023. Visit www.wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474 or click on our show notes for direct link to sign up. Westminster Seminary California for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Are you a student who's looking to go deeper into classical Protestantism and our theological heritage? What about a pastor who wants some sharpening of his theological, exegetical, and historical toolboxes? Are you a layperson who's looking for theological wisdom? Maybe you're an educator looking to lay a classical foundation in theology. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. And key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. They take full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online classes. Davenant offers an MLIT in classical Protestantism with the standard and pastoral ministry tracks, and a brand new PhD program in partnership with Union Theological College and Davenant Hall supervisors. Yet they insist that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation. So to that end, they host regular residentials at the Davenant House Study Center 
in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain region of South Carolina. Registration for spring 2023 classes running April to June are now open, but registration closes March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Classes include the Reformation in the Modern World, a Biblical Theology of the Sexes, Augustine City of God, and so many more. These classes look incredible. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more or www.davenantinstitute.org for more information about the whole organization or go to our show notes and click on the link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe to, like yeah, to dig into that maybe a hair further. So those... Those who are skeptical skeptical of the word persuasion and say, well, just let the spirit do its work. If we just preach the gospel, then they'll be persuaded. But how, how would you respond to somebody who says that? Because it's it's like you said, it's a good impulse to rely on the spirit, be spiritually led Christians. But it may not be, I guess, quote unquote, the right tactic for that kind of situation. How, how would you respond to somebody who says like, well, we can't persuade, just let the spirit do its work? Well, many of those people, to put it bluntly, are too pious by half. Every one of us, evangelists, apologists, all of us should rely on the Spirit. Jesus sent his Spirit partly to convict the world of sin and to convince it of truth. So the apologists, the evangelists, we're always only junior partners. Mm -hmm. The senior partner in the work of faith is the Holy Spirit. He convicts people of the guilt. He convinces people of the truth, and our feeble words and our imperfect lives are given to him to help that, but it's certainly not up to us. So I don't make a dramatic difference. No, we do all we can, imperfectly, with our own frailties, but we're only junior partners, and always we are relying on the Spirit of God who does the real work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And going back to earlier comment too, just knowing that and also knowing that we should do our own homework on what they might believe and their worldview and where they're coming from, because you can um, use, I'm putting this in my own terms so you can correct me how I say it, but using their arguments maybe against themselves. Mm -hmm. No, that's very, very important, Nick. But we've got to remember you know, we're aware, say, a humanist or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Marxist or whatever. No one is a perfect card-carrying member mm-hmm. of these worldviews. Mm-hmm. In other words, they do believe that. But within the, their own biography, they've got mm-hmm. hang-ups, blockages towards faith because of the way their parents treated them or some Christian at school in the past behaved towards them or whatever. So no one is a card-carrying version. So you can't just argue against every secularist in the same way, one, two, three, four, no. You've got to see, yes, this gentleman or this woman is an atheist or Hindu, 
But what has shaped their journey towards that? So they're very personal, as well as sharing certain common features because of the worldview they believe. That's very important because a lot of Christians read good books like, say, Jim Sire's The Universe Next Door or Glenn Sunshine's great books. They read those and then they treat everyone the same. No, mm -hmm. everyone is different. Yeah, yeah. That's that's you. I think you talk about Jesus's use of asking questions to various people and opening them up to to really kind of get into the core of who they are and saying, okay, this is maybe I say this, but what actually what I'm actually really feeling, what actually really happened to me, is maybe slightly different than what I had said. Kind of consistently comes out of, out of my worldview. That's right, because they're people, not just versions of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you name some of your most influential Christian philosophers and apologists, uh, theologians, whatnot. Uh, they, you even mentioned, interestingly enough, that if they all were, if the three of them, C.S. Lewis, Peter Berger, G.K. Uh, Chesterton, were all in the room together, they might not even necessarily 100% agree with each other on every single little thing, but you you really appreciate these three individuals and it's helped your growth and understanding of apology, uh, apologists. So um, how do these three men embody the art of Christian persuasion and you hope to persuade your readers to become as well? Well, and the other one you didn't mention, Pascal. Mm -hmm. Blaise Pascal. Yeah, Blaise oh, that's right. Pascal's Ponce is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And as yeah. you know, the poor man died at 39. So Pascal means thoughts in French. I mean, pensées means thoughts in French. It was his jottings, sort of mm -hmm. notes he was putting down for a great cathedral of a book that was to be the real apology. But all we have is the notes. Mm -hmm. Some of them are quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And his, his notion of diversion. Mm. That was the two main reasons why people don't think one is his notion of diversion. People surround themselves with busy, entertaining distractions. You take cell phones and all that today, described as weapons of mass distraction. Mm -hmm. You know, people can be so into their phones and all that stuff, they don't think about the meaning of life. And so someone like Pascal is incredibly good. Now, G.K. Chesterton, I don't think many people realize how much he's behind C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually think C.S. Lewis, yeah. while he mentioned- He's that guy he hated reading because he convinced them too much. Yeah, I mean, Lewis owes maybe more to Chesterton. Even the, the famous liar, lunatic lord yeah. argument, it comes from Chesterton. Mm -hmm. And Chesterton is witty, mm -hmm. funny, and was brilliant at engaging. You know, he debated people like George Bernard Shaw. And they all, he usually won the debates, but he was so funny and so loving that they didn't feel trounced and the floor wiped with them and so on. Because, no, I'm not thinking of C.S. Lewis here, but you've got some modern apologists who, who win the arguments and lose the audience. Mm. And that's disastrous. Chesterton was magnificent. Mm -hmm. What about that? Well, what about like Peter Berger or CS? Like how, how did their kind of influence, like what, what did it, how did they influence you in your, in your art of persuasion? Well, Peter Berger was not an apologist. In fact, he disliked apologetics because it was so often becomes an intellectual battering ram. But he's a great social scientist, one of the greatest in the 20th century. 
And he does have some brilliant ideas, almost despite himself. <laughs> I've got a book coming out uh, early in 2023 called Signals of Transcendence, hmm. which is an idea going back to Peter Berger. He yep. says people have these experiences which do two things. They puncture what they believe and point beyond what they believe now and set them off and trigger their search to look for what would need to be true if that signal, that experience is real. So obviously the most famous of all is C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy. Mm -hmm. He's an atheist, but joy is not pleasure. Joy is not happiness. And he's so inspired by this that, you know, more than 10 years later, he discovers the source of that signal of transcendence of joy in the Lord. And I've got a book with 10 stories of people who've had similar experiences, but I got that idea from Peter Berger's little book, A Rumor of Angels. We originally hoped to write it together hmm. as he was my mentor and my doctorate. And then we became great friends. He used to talk of what he called methodological atheism. In other words, you listen to him as a social scientist and you wouldn't always know he was a Christian, but he was a passionate Christian. And so I owe things like the signal of transcendence to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. What well, one quick question comment uh, before Peter jumps in. I think he's got one more question, but I also thought it was really helpful and interesting in the very beginning of your book uh, where, where you have uh, mm. you list out many philosophical quotes and even verses listed and, and um, it does, it does talk about the importance of comedy, humor, and laughter. Mm. What, what in the, in the aspect of the art of Christian persuasion, this might help be like a practical, helpful um, reminder to the audience. Can you explain why even, mm. why even humor yeah, it kind of sets the, the tone for the book. Those like those bunch of uh, yeah, quotes before we start the book. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I got that idea for reading Erasmus. Hmm. Okay. And if you go back to his famous book, you see he understands there are three types of fool. What you might call, this is my terms, the fool proper, the person who is an idiot. <laughs> and uh, that's what we should never be. Mm-hmm. But then the second type of fool is the fool bearer, the person who is not a fool, no, but is prepared to bear the folly of Christ. In other words, the offense of the cross mm -hmm. as a fool bearer, the supreme one is our Lord himself, yep. who's made you take the, the purple robe and the crown of thorns. He's made a joke king. Yeah. He was the fool bearer taking the sins of the world. But then the third fool is the fool maker. Mm -hmm the person like the comic who can just turn things on their head. Hmm. And of course, a good joke, you know, the punchline turns everything round and you suddenly see a different way of seeing things, which is the source of humor. Mm -hmm. You think of the Jack in the box who every time you put him down, bounces back the right way up. Well, put it reverently, the supreme act of the Jack in the box is the resurrection. Dead, 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 buried, buried, buried. And suddenly he springs to life again. The Lord's dynamic subversion of sin and death and the powers of darkness. And there's a real link between comedy 
and apologetics mm. and the subversion that the Lord is doing to evil in the world. Now, you need to explore that in far greater depth. I don't mean that apologetics is a joke. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I tell the story in the book coming out of meeting in Poland, a wonderful old boy who was a believer, Jewish as I remember. He was in Auschwitz and he survived. And he described that what led him to faith in Auschwitz was a Christian with a sense of humor. Now, I don't mean he made jokes about the horror of Auschwitz, but even yards from the gas ovens, heaven relativized the earth. God relativized even the horror of Hitler. And this brother's humor was the witness to this other gentleman who came to faith in Auschwitz. It was a remarkable story. Uh, you have to think very carefully, but there's a profound link between comedy and theology. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I think that maybe helps us a little bit with this last question. Um, so as, as we conclude, and you talk about this towards the end of your book, um, you also signaled to this at the beginning of this interview. And this, I think what you just said helps with this a little bit. Is apologetics only a professional's job or, or how might regular, quote unquote, regular Christians in the pew or just kind of walking around doing their eight to five jobs, how might they en engage and grow in Christian persuasion themselves? Horror of horrors, if we think apologetics is only for professionals or for intellectuals or for academics or anything nonsense like that. You know, the simple biblical answer is 1 Peter 3.15. Mm -hmm. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you, Peter says. And that word reason is, in Greek, apologia. Mm -hmm. Be always ready with an apology, not apologizing in that sense of the word, but giving an account, a reason, an explanation, a defense for what's in us. So it's for every single believer. Now, of course, some people will have thought it through more than others, but it's a tragedy if ever people think evangelism's for everyone and apologetics is just for the intellectuals or the academics. That's a disaster because the number of people who are open, interested, needy are relatively few. In other words, people who are ripe for evangelism at once. Most people and in America, that's a rising number, are increasingly closed, not open, interested, needy. So we need apologetics and every believer at the level which they think needs to understand what it is and how we do it. You can break it down to relatively simple things. Yeah, and I think this book will help and, and a few other resources too. Um, so Dr. Guinness, thanks thanks so much for coming on. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to this that you think our listeners could be benefited from or if there's any resources that they can use. I know you've written a couple of things and you talked about this book that you have coming out. So um, anything else that you wanted to add or anything that's coming up and, and how they can find you as well? Well, I just say always keep it simple. So one, love people. Two, listen to people and question in order to listen and understand them more. And then three, when you begin to understand their faith, get them to understand their own faith and then start pushing them out to see where their faith really leads. Mm -hmm. You don't say anything about ours. 
the great problem is Christians introduce the Christian faith, the good mm. news, before people are in a bad situation. Mm. And so it just flows off people's backs like water off a duck's back. But you can make it very, very simple. And that's where we've got to start. But if you think of our world, let me put it in grand terms as we finish. There's a crisis in the West today. Yeah. And that crisis of Western civilization is, is a crisis of faith. What inspired the West is now discarded. So the West is a cut flower civilization. So at the grandest level, the issue is faith. Or you take America the last of the great Western countries to turn against the faith. Europe did it far earlier. But you can see the challenge to faith and the answer to it must be apologetics. So mm -hmm. go on down the line. Apologetics is in, or persuasion is incredibly important today for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Yeah, that's helpful. It's just knowing we and, and people need to know what we're saved from in order to have the, the gospel message make more sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good news when you, when you know the bad news. If you don't have any bad news, yeah. you're not really sure why you need good news. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dr. Guinness, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for taking the time to talk about Christian persuasion, for engaging in this yourself and giving a good model and showing other good models uh, as well. And like you said in the book, not just giving us a step-by-step -step process, but making us think better um, not as just persuaders, but loving people and asking good questions and um, and ultimately showing them the love of Jesus. So yeah, thank you for thank you for coming on our show. Thanks for having me. God bless. God bless. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.